This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. And now we have Sandra Pelletier, who's the CEO of Evofem, talking about a new innovation in birth control. Tell me the the problem you wanted to solve for, because with Fexi, I I have a lot of questions about Fexi as well to, you know, share awareness about um, that product as well. So, So talk to me. It is the first and it's the only non-hormonal birth control that women use on demand. So you use it right before sex or up to an hour before, never after sex. It has been decades, literally decades since real innovation has come out in the category. And that agitates some people when I say it, because they're like, why would you say that, Sandra? There are rings, there are patches. And I said, innovation is not just a lower dose of more hormones in a different delivery system. Do I understand why it's done? But innovation is something that's truly different. So right now in the United States, half of all pregnancies are still unintended. So when you think about it, there's 18 categories of contraception. If the problem was solved, why are half of our pregnancies still unintended? Well, because women suffer from side effects. So the, the real problem I was trying to solve was this, is that I know that when women suffer, And when women suffer in silence, because we're raised to be pleasers and we're raised to be martyrs and we're supposed to kind of suck it up. And we don't talk to our male partners about our weight gain and our headaches and our bloating, because really that's not a very attractive conversation. So women talk to their friends, but their partners have no idea. I wanted women to feel as good as they could so that that impacted everybody positively. Right? When women feel good, everybody benefits. So what I knew was from my own experience, okay? I was on hormonal contraception for almost 20 years. I tried seven different products. The reason I did this is because I never could really feel like myself. I could never feel like myself. I, and I couldn't figure it out. But I knew the only thing that I was doing was ingesting a synthetic hormone in my body every day, right? But I would tell you this. This is, this is the crazy part about how I feel like the universe works. Here I am, a CEO of a company developing a non-hormonal product and every woman who has cancer, and by the way, are you ready for this? 700,000 women are diagnosed with cancer every year, not just breast cancer, all different kinds of cancer. After you have a cancer diagnosis, if you're still fertile, they are clinically responsible to make sure these women are on a prescription birth control because the last thing they want is for them to get pregnant and have all these other hormones circulating through their body, right? But right Mm. now, the only product they can prescribe is a copper IUD So now Fexi is available as a solution for these women. And if my oncologist said, imagine when these women suffer, they've gone through chemo and radiation and they are so, they're fighting for their life. And then we say, hey, guess what? We're going to put a copper IUD in you, but we don't have any other choice. And she said, it's almost like you developed Fexi for these women. Now, our marketing team would tell you there's a lot broader population than that. But what I would tell you is, is that, 
the psychological impact, right? You have terrible vaginal dryness because all the hormones are out of your body. You have vaginal bleeding. You, you worry about your intimate relationship. You do, you just do. Mine didn't survive. It, it didn't. And I hear that story from about a lot of women that their relationships don't survive. But the point in saying it to you is that this product Bexie is, is, is really an interesting solution for women who can, who cannot or will not use a hormone. So the other piece of the population is there's 21 million women right now in the United States. I find this shocking. 21 million women who are not using hormonal contraception right now. And so when we interview women, they say, hey, look, I don't have hormones in my milk. I don't have it in my meat. And I joke and say, look, if chickens can be hormone-free, why can't women, right? But the interesting part for me is that it was suggested to me that younger women weren't going to want this product because they wanted a fit and forget method. Well, years ago, that was true. Women were tired of taking the pill every day. And I said, you know what? I don't know that that's true because young women are worried about what is taking a synthetic hormone going to do to my ability to get pregnant when I want to? They're worried about things that may be true or not true. Perception is reality, right? Right. But the one fascinating thing that young women said to me is they said, you know what? I was put on an anti-anxiety product. I was put on an antidepressant. But then when someone took the time to evaluate my body and my hormones and I was taken off these things, I felt normal again. So yeah. when, when I said to them, what about something on demand? I said, don't you think it's crazy that women are asked to take something every day of every week of every month of every year when they don't have sex every day? And I said, look, I don't know about you, but I certainly don't have sex every day. And even when I was in, you know, when I thought I was like, you know, in my heyday, I didn't have sex every day. Right. And, and women say they don't have sex every day. And I said, do you think that a man would take something every day if he didn't even need it? No, that would not happen. So the on-demand part, meaning just like men have had condoms, you can take you can take an applicator, you can put it in your purse, right? A prescription is a box of 12 pre-filled applicators. So you get this box, there's 12 pre-filled applicators in the box, and you don't have to leave it in this, you don't have to leave it in the, in the package, but you can take it out, put it in your purse, you can put it in your pocket, and literally it's, you know, women who've used tampons or any kind of applicator, but you put it in right before intercourse or up to an hour before but the one thing about the name I want you to hear too is Fexi, P-H-E-X-X-I. So the P-H speaks to how it works. Yep. So, it, right, a normal, uh, you know, uh, most women have a pH of 3.5 to 4.5. Right. So when semen enters, the pH rises. That's how you get pregnant. So what Fexi does is it's acid buffering and it just helps you maintain your normal vaginal pH. So it's inhospitable to semen. Women are not going to use something that leaks out, right? It's very viscous, very bioadhesive. So you somewhat answered it with the market research that the on-demand seems to solve for some of the questions. But let's say we're talking to a woman who doesn't realize the impact of the hormonal birth control and hasn't had that suffering quite yet. They may just look at Fexi and their first reaction would be, you know, oh, but it's on-demand. Like, you know, what have feedback have you heard from users on, look, I like to ask the questions that's on everyone's mind that may, they may not ask, but like, how do people do it? So it doesn't ruin the mood. Can I just ask that question? What have yes. you heard? <laughs> okay. So yes. And by the way, and I think it's so important. So I look, I'll tell you the truth. I, there's subsets of women in my opinion. Okay. About intimacy and ruining the mood interruption of intimacy. Yep. So 
There's the women that say to us, they always go to the restroom right before because they want to pee. They say, I just got to go to the bathroom and they go in and they pee and they put in Fexi and they either put it back in their bag, the empty applicator or throw it in the trash and boom, nobody knows. It's discreet. It's easy. And quite seriously, I mean this, it takes like a second to put in. I mean, a second. Now it is a little bit like contact lenses. So the first time or two, it's a little awkward. And then once you get used to it, you're like, wow. This is so easy. So there's okay. that group of women that say okay. they go to the bathroom anyway, no big deal. Then there's a group of women that say they're using lubricants already as part of intimacy. So okay. that literally their partner knows they think it's all sensual and sexy and it's all fine because they're like super comfortable. One of these women said to me, look, I have sex with the lights on. I'm happy to put in sexy, you know, which is great. But then there's the women that say, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. No. I can't go there. Okay. I, I can't. I can't. And by the way, I also get that this product, and yeah. I really mean this, it's not for everybody. So I don't know what kids are being educated about, and what the the way that even you know the millennials, etc., operate as far as how they think about things. But you know, for for me, at least my generation, it was um, or it is like condom, 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 and so um, because of the STDs and pregnancy prevention. So how does Fexi fit into the picture in that scenario? So we do say, and it will say on our label, that you still need to use condoms for prevention of STDs or STIs and HIV prevention. So just like everything else, you know what I mean? So we do say that. Now, if you're with a steady monogamous partner, you you don't need to use like something else if, you know what I mean, you're confident about your partner. However, for STD prevention and HIV prevention, we still recommend, just like every other contraceptive, right? You should use a condom. Okay. And then what about as far as ingredients? So no parabens, um, non-toxic ingredients? Correct. So so it is um, lactic acid, citric acid, and potassium bitartrate. And we had less than 2% of women discontinue due to side effects. Well, a lot of these ingredients, by the way, you find in other things. They're very, yeah, um, yeah simple ingredients, not overcomplicated toxic chemicals, so to okay. speak. So if using a condom, since it's, um, it's a product that can be used with latex, polyurethane, instead of being inserted vaginally, can it be put inside a condom and be as effective? So we didn't study it that way. So here's what I would say. So, uh, yeah. so our clinical study was women using the applicator within the label, meaning, okay. you know, right before sex up to an hour, not after. So because we didn't study it that way, I... I wouldn't be able to say, do you know what I mean? Now, at one point, by the way, there were a lot of spermicide other products that coated condoms on the outside of condoms. And at one point, when I first joined the company, the previous team, which were all men, were looking at coating condoms instead of coming to market as a contraceptive product for women. But fortunately, we were able to persuade them that coming to market for women, and truthfully, I wanted women to be in control, right? Condoms are controlled by men, right? So, and women oftentimes don't win the condom negotiation, unfortunately. Right. So, but yes, so they were looking at that at one point, but then we pivoted to being a prescription product for women. And here's something that um, I found really interesting with the data. So, I'm also hearing the same issues with the hormones and um, a lot of women having all these side effects. And there's this, I, I was like, I feel like I need to draw a circular graph to it's basically indicate this dilemma with birth control. So interestingly, it seems like a lot of women actually go on birth control 
not, I think it was, if it's 70% go on birth control because of things like heavy periods, 30% or a small percent that I, and I was surprised by is our go on birth control for particularly pregnancy prevention. And I know that your the data point you shared is that 50% of women have unplanned pregnancies. So there's this like, what about the women who, well, I will say this, when I interviewed the non-MD around women who have like the painful periods and the horrible side effects who are put on birth control for that, the argument there is birth control is the quick fix. It should never have been the solution in the first place. Not to say it's never the solution, but sometimes it's too quick of a solution when there's other ways around that. So there's this like whole dynamic of like, I am a woman with or without problems. I am a woman who is trying to prevent pregnancy. You know, what are the things that are right for me given all of these scenarios? Like, it's just this like, you know, interesting dynamic that is so hard to figure out. But I also wanted to point out that with clinical trials and and why this birth control series is so fascinating is it finally hit me. And I don't know why it just hit me because I've been in industry my entire career and actually was a consultant for the clinical side of the business as well, is clinical trials are very specific. You solve for one endpoint. You may have secondary endpoints. So to your point, like what you said when I asked you the question, you know, I, I want the audience to understand it's not like Sandra's company can just like say, sure, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're, you know, when you wash your hair, like, of course, this shampoo is going to do all these things. Like with clinical trials, it's very like to be able to say statistical significance, it's here is the one endpoint, here are the secondary endpoints. And because you have to plan for statistical significance to prove or disprove the hypothesis, you can't look at everything. Right. Well, and can right? I tell you something else to that point, which I can't believe you brought this up. So in our clinical study, to your point, right, that's what I love that you're bringing up is that the clinical rigor. So for example, we had to include women as failures that didn't even use the product. They didn't even use it. We had to include them because that's the way the protocol and the study design was. We had to include women who used it after sex. Well, we know that's not going to work. Okay. So, so that was something that it's just the way the study, the, why it was, how it was mandated. Allopathic doctors or MDs, a lot of the efforts are very clinical trial based. And, you know, when you have like the naturopaths, they're looking at root cause. And I know when I've talked to MDs, it's, you know, we're not opposed to this other way of thinking, but where's the data? And, you know, at the end of the day, we have to start with the fact that women, the clinical trials, a lot of them are either done on men or just not even done for women's health. The funding's not there. And so, The thing is, I think what everyone needs to understand is doctors are in a bad spot, the traditional MDs, naturopaths, women, everyone, because there isn't enough. And, you know, as you're hearing us talk with clinical trials, like it's a lot of dollars and you may not even be able to prove what you want, which means more dollars to keep trying to prove something. And so it's really complex. It's not, you know, why can't you just make it happen? It's a very long-term, expensive, unknown process. All right, so a couple more questions. Has this been tested on men in the sense of what has been their reaction? And I guess maybe just because we wanna be very clear about data, do you have a trial on it or do you have anecdotal information around what you've heard from the consumer around the impact on men if the woman is? So we had 1400 women in our phase three clinical study for FEXI. So we did get feedback from real partners of real women who were in the study. 
there's no odor to it. So there's not like a smell, you know, people said like, is there a clinical smell or anything like that? So that was also perceived as very positive. I don't know if you had any endpoints around, you know, just data around the degree of STDs based on this. And again, that's something else to study, but just a curiosity. So we didn't have any endpoints around that in the contraceptive study. However, the one thing I would tell you that is been, has been interesting. So so when we did our first phase three study years ago, not this recent FEXI study, the final phase three, but the first one, we had to do a comparison against a nanoxinal nine product, which okay. is a surfactant. So nanoxinal nine has a black box warning in the US. It's been banned in a lot of the world because the ingredients are like a detergent. Yep. And, the re- and that does tear at the epithelial lining of the vaginal yep. cavity because our ingredients are very different, electric acid, citric acid, yes, tartrate. We obviously don't have a black box warning. And because less than 2% of patients discontinued, it was deemed as being a safe, well-tolerated product. As far as uh, competition, it's funny because literally while you guys were reaching out, I think like the day before or something, I got reached out to by um, an over-the-counter product that you, I don't remember the name of it, but you have to insert it, I think like right away and then have intercourse. Like it wasn't an hour before. Yeah. I can get the name for you if you want. Yeah. So it was was over the counter, which also made me a little bit nervous. So we did market research around mindset. So we actually had some people in the beginning say, well, why don't you make this over the counter? And so our answer was kind of threefold. So number one in market research, it was resounding that women had a mindset that if they were doing something as serious as protecting themselves from getting pregnant, that the majority of women felt like they wanted it to be FDA approved. They wanted Got the it. clinical rigor being FDA approved. Second, with Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, category of contraception is covered. So we are the only vaginal pH regulator or the only non-hormonal gel. So the majority of plans do zero out-of-pocket pay. So if you go over the counter, you clearly are paying, right? Right. So if you have a health plan, we've been very successful. We have 60% of lives covered. So we thought that women would have more access at lower prices if it was prescription. And then finally, to be candid, the -the over-the-counter market is very, very small. So for the investment we made to develop it, which was $150 million, we knew that what we wanted was to, and by the way, the payers even said to us, Georgie, look, as long as you charge us what we pay for branded pills, we're not going to give you any step edits. We're not going to block you as long as you stay within that range. And that range was somewhere between $200 and $275 per month. So yeah. So we felt like it was a win-win. You know, Women won't have to pay as much. Women are going to have access. They perceive that we did the clinical rigor of a real study with the FDA. And so that's why we decided to be prescription. And so I, I guess just to be clear so that women don't miss it is it's still covered. So the 275 isn't necessarily what they're paying. That was more of a payer. Without question. Rigor. So women right now. Okay. Now, just so you know, we actually have a program that women are getting the first month free, zero. And then if they have a healthcare plan, they're getting either zero or what we've seen is up to $30, somewhere between zero and $30 women are paying. So that's why we feel really good. And 60% coverage, we're continuing to have very big wins, right? We're on Medicaid. We have a big contract with the VA and we are continuing to get the big plans like the blues and all these big plans. So 60% plus VA, plus Medicaid so far. And we're continuting to grow that coverage. Yeah. What would be your greatest hope 
for women's health? And, and what are your future plans that you can publicly disclose? <laughs> uh, okay, so my greatest hope for women's health, okay, really, I, I, I hope this is okay to say, but my greatest hope for women's health is that there are more women CEOs running women's healthcare companies. I really believe it matters. I do. I believe it matters. I, I, I just do. And I really do see it in my own experience that my ability to talk about why this product is important. And most of our investors are all male, the majority of them. And I yep. say to them, you know what? You don't have to take my word for it, but please talk to your wife or your girlfriend or your significant other and think about your daughter. What is yep. it that you would have her choose? And then I say, I know you guys think that birth control isn't important, but think about the responsibility of managing fertility all those years is put on the woman. You know, so, so one, I wish, my big hope is that more women become CEOs and they become CEOs of women's healthcare companies. Yep. And, but my wish for Femme, I will tell you, is that my wish and my goal is that we are really seen and embraced by women in a way that shocks the hell out of the entire investment community and the entire pharma community, because we are trying to be appropriately provocative. We're saying, guess what? You should get to have sex on demand. Why shouldn't you? Oh my goodness, what an idea. Women should have pleasurable sex and you should have it when you want to and never when you don't and not have to suffer from side effects because all contraceptive marketing is fear-based, right? You don't want to get pregnant. You don't want to get pregnant. So I want them to see Evofem as a company that innovates for women, that is about women, that wants to take the shame out of sexuality. We all got here because a woman had sex. You know, I want to be able to say stuff like you, you know what, to be honest, I love you. I seriously want to be more like you to say, to ask the questions that everybody's thinking. And even if I am shamed for it, to not even feel shame myself, to be like, you know what? It needed to be asked. So I, or I needed to be said. So I said it. <laughs> I don't think there's enough of that. There's so much misconceptions and myths and shame in women's health, right? We can't even talk about periods at the dinner table because it's taboo. And my hope is that that changes it's our bodies, right? So that's really my hope. I, maybe it's a grand hope, but I don't think it is. I just hope that our bodies and how they work is more normalized. That's awesome. And honestly, I think it's going to happen. I interviewed Dr. Lara Bryden. She's in New Zealand and she is quite a badass. I don't really get intimidated that easily. And I was like, <laughs> we were sitting on the phone and she said something like, no, no, no. We need to change the language that we're using. And I'm like, did I say something wrong? And I was like, I'm nervous because she like knows her stuff. And she, you know, so I was like, I got a taste of my own medicine. And she wrote a book called Period Repair Manual. And it was only published like five or six years ago. And she said that when she was publishing it, there was debate on whether she could put the word period on the cover. Now people say period all the time. Right. And so I will say, and when my fertility journey started a decade ago, I was very open about it, but like, I would wait to make sure that the other person was in the same boat as me before I talked about it, you know, because of my career and stuff. I just, I would have posted on social media and stuff. I just wasn't sure what it would do to my career. And now it's like, you go on Instagram and it's insane, right? How much people yes. talk about it. And so I will say like, just seeing how fast the one thing I am frustrated by is the investor community still doesn't get it. Even though like all the magazines say femtech, 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 the themes I keep hearing is how hard it is to get the money. And so I, I do think your hope is realistic. I just think, 
you know, and because I'm seeing it, it's just, um, there's still some weird things. And I guess it takes people like you and for anyone who's building women's health companies, hear what Sandra did. Like, look, you explain to them how it fits in and why, and it's working and just kudos to you. So thank you. No, thank you back. I love you for saying that. Thank you. But I believe in these three C's, right? And I say, look, it's about confidence. It's about comfort. And it's about credit for women. Like when they're trying to raise money, they're trying to build, you know, there is this fine line, as you know, right? Between being assertive and being aggressive, right? Being arrogant and being confident. And that the tough part is that women have been given the wrong messages and, and, you know, they need to recognize that it is our intuition. It is our ability to have an IQ, you know, a high EQ. It is our ability to connect with people in a way that they feel significant and matter. But I, I just want you to hear that too, that women have these wonderful gifts that we know about, but we don't use them enough. So yeah. I'm trying to encourage women in business to do it more, you know, yeah. so that they can, they can get the benefits. Oh my God, you're awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time for me. I really appreciate it. And I really hope, I want to stay connected and nice to meet you. And given this is an FDA product, I did want to read you a disclaimer given to us by EvoFem. Do not use Fexi if you have problems with your urinary tract or a history of repeated UTIs, vaginal burning, itching, infection, and discharge, UTIs, genital area discomfort, bacterial vaginosis, or pain while urinating may occur.